all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? <laughs> I'm Rachel. And I'm David. And this is all bad things. <laughs> <laughs> Should we retake that? <laughs> no, it's fine. Everybody knows we don't edit. Welcome, everybody. Welcome. Welcome. <laughs> Is that your new? That's yes, your new. I think that's my new. Uh, my new thing. A hundred ninety something episodes, yeah, and that's finally your new... found it. <laughs> Only your took four years. <laughs> um, follow us Insta, Twitter, Facebook at All Bad Things Pod. Email us All Bad Things Pod at gmail Join our Facebook discussion group and our Discord. Yes. All of those things. <laughs> um, this is uh, my post-vaccine episode. I got the second... Two shots Two shots down. Two shots down. Um, got the second shot. I got the Pfizer one. Um, two days ago. Uh, felt like shit yesterday, not gonna lie. I had fever, chills, aches. Um, woke up this morning fine. Just a little bit of a sore arm. Uh, so, and that's, by all accounts, it's exactly what can happen is you don't feel great the next day and then you're fine. And I am uh, uh, totally okay with getting not real COVID <laughs> so that my body will be ready if I'm ever exposed to COVID. Yes. Like, that's that's absolutely fine. Um, I also learned my lesson to not use the term fovid. <laughs> Did you see the kerfuffle yesterday no. <laughs> on the Facebook discussion group? So I was expressing my experience with the vaccine, you know, and I was saying I'd well, so post vax. Here's my uh, experience with fovid, and I said fo f a u x v i d because the vaccines do not contain the virus, right? It's the mRNA vaccine that's like fooling your body into thinking that it's dealing with COVID. So I was calling it FOVID because it's not real. That's that's what's spurring your immune system on. They don't need to use the actual virus. And I was saying I'd rather have FOVID than COVID sort of a thing. Um, well, uh, at least one person considered that to mean that I thought that COVID wasn't real. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, no, I believe in reality. Yeah. And yes, this is a horrible, not hoax disease that has killed literally millions of people that we absolutely will do an episode on one day, but we're going to need some time. Yeah, we're going to have to let the dust settle on that one. That might be like, a, if we're going in 10 years, maybe that's yeah, what we'll that might be, be covering. Yeah, that might be. Mm -hmm. But well, if you can get your vaccine, please, 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 please do... The symptoms are completely manageable, they're short-lasting, and they are 10 trillion times better than actually getting COVID and being able to spread it and possibly harm other people. So please do. And we got you signed up for your first shot. It's still mm -hmm. not for a couple weeks, but at least That's we got right. you on the list. You're yes. on the board. <laughs> I'm on the board. I'll take it. Yeah. So, um, live show. Yes. Coming up. Uh, we think. <laughs> Until it actually happens, I'm not sure I'll believe it. But we did pick our topic. 
<clears throat> we had a topic in mind and then switched it. We did. <laughs> but I think it's going to work. I think this one's going to work better. I think yeah. so, too. Um, and Because we do need, a, I, I think, for a 200th episode, and especially for a live show, which mm-hmm. is the first time we'll ever... You, you kind of... Yeah. You need a bit of a heavy hitter. And I, I think that's what... It is. Either of them would have been. Yes. But they were going and they went in two, two different, different directions. One was much more lighthearted. Mm-hmm. The other, I think, is a heavy hitter, but in a niche sort of way. Sure. Yeah. Um, I think I think most people would have been like, oh, I've heard of this. Right. Mm-hmm. Without knowing, you know, a whole lot about it. Right. I agree with that. I agree with that. I random thing that just popped in my head. I've done a horrible job at updating our All Bad Things map. I need to do that. I need to also stop interrupting our conversation to remind myself of things I need to do. But I Especially like since the... you don't re-listen to the episodes. <laughs> so you'll true. never, never you'll never hear yourself this. say this. Um <laughs> I do like our our topic and I like the idea that we just came up with just before we started recording mm-hmm. that all research and tell the first half of the story and you'll research and tell the second half of the story. So everyone who watches can see each of us tell the story, which yes. I think is pretty cool. Absolutely. So the plan is still to do it on Zoom. Um, we're not entirely <laughs> sure how this is all going to work. Um, the reason we kind of chose Zoom as opposed to Twitch or something is because we wanted, well, first of all, like we've got an account that we can use. Um, and I do have a business account, so should be able to accommodate everybody. But also, um, Hannah and some other very nice people have offered like, Hey, if you need someone to host it, like I've got an account, which is so kind. Um, I think we'll be able to do it with, with the account I've got, but, um, we also wanted like. And we're going to have to figure out exactly how to do this, but like some sort of chat and get to see everybody and talk to everybody at some point. Anyone who wants to be seen, anybody who wants to discuss. So the the survey has been out. It's been answered by like 80 people. So that means we've got some interest, which is great mm-hmm. and pretty remarkable for yes. us. <laughs> um, I expected eight. I know, right? <laughs> uh, but so... From what I can tell, and this isn't, well, maybe this will be the quote official announcement by the time this comes out, because we're recording like the Wednesday before, but um, I think we're settling on uh, Saturday, April 24th, around 5 p.m. Eastern time. So our in our time zone in North Carolina, the reasoning behind that, aside from what the feedback we got from everybody on best times is that the people on the West Coast um, of the U.S., it'll still be, you know, just be an afternoon sort of a thing for East Coast. It'll be like a late afternoon evening thing. People in the UK can still join in. It'll be a little later, but it'll mm-hmm. still be like evening. It's a Saturday night. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, and then, hopefully they're not working. <clears throat> right. And then the only thing is that people in Australia <clears throat> um, and in the region that's like 12 hours plus ahead of us, you have the option there's, of waking up at 5 yeah, a.m. if you want. There's just kind of no way to appease <laughs> it's that. It's not a great situation either way. We, but... we can do within like a, we can work within like a five or six hour window, right. but a 12 it's hour hard. window is... That's hard. Yeah. But what we can do and what we've thought of and discussed about doing is doing some sort of like do another event, but cater it to everybody who's... um 
like that many hours ahead of our local time. Mm -hmm. So like it'll be our morning and their evening at some point, you know, so that um, that you guys don't get left out because there's just no that's the problem with a an asynchronous world, right? There's no universal time that works for everybody. I I've just always thought that you know it'd be funny if just like. Everyone can kept the same time of day, but I know that it's all based on sunlight. But there's, anyway. there's also no reason we can't also, now that I think of it, record it on YouTube simultaneously because we can just. Can you run Zoom and YouTube simultaneously? I'm I'm talking using two different computers. I'm sure you can. Do we have two different computers? We have this one and oh, your this office one. Oh, this one won't do anything. I don't know about that. It's. We have, we'll, I have we'll two have work to, computers. Yeah, but we'll have to. But I'm anyway. <laughs> we're, we're, yes. you we're, can tell how well prepared we are for this. We're putting our grievances out in <laughs> the are. out in the open, which we don't mean to do. Right. So yeah. So anyway, live event. Yeah. Our first one ever. We we appreciate anybody that wants to participate. Yes. And, um, and it's looking like April twenty fourth around five p.m. Mm-hmm. But we'll come out with a more official announcement. April twenty fourth being a Saturday. Just yes, to... that's a, a Saturday our time, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Anybody joining us um, across the dateline? Uh, maybe not so much. Um, also, I think the way we're gonna do it is that if you want to participate, I'm gonna put out a form on social media so that you can send us your email address so we can send you a Zoom invite. Um, or if you're listening to this and that around that time on that date works for you, 5 p.m. Eastern, uh, April 24th, uh, feel free to email us if you want that link and we will make sure you're on our list and get you the Zoom link. That's just to me. I don't just don't want to put the Zoom link out there in the public because then no, some spammer could get yeah. in. Right. And we don't want to have to field assholes. So as long as everyone, you know, is requesting it then i'm cool with that so all right uh what we drinking today i am drinking <coughs> a very fantastic Michelob ultra prickly pear in lime infusion yes <laughs> actually isn't bad i don't no. mind it so much <laughs> i'm drinking something new you found for me mm-hmm. i don't think i've had this before i don't think i have either it's a cool can this is a noda cavu mm-hmm. blonde I think that's ale cavu Kavu, Kavu, probably mm-hmm. because of the way. And this is out of Noda, um, in a Charlotte. We need to get back to Charlotte. Charlotte. Can I try? Absolutely, it's not bad. It's a nice light burr. Yeah, it's got a crisp. Yeah. Good spring yeah. beer. Yeah, it is. And we are in full yellowing season here. Yes, but thankfully it rained today. It did. Nice hard rain for about. Uh, 10 minutes I'd say 15 minutes I was like okay I was like as long as we get a couple of bursts of those a week Mm -hmm. I'm like I won't be as stuffed up every day yeah for (laughs) anyone who doesn't live uh where we live or I know that there are other places where it gets bad too Mm -hmm. but I don't know North Carolina's I've never I've never lived anywhere where it's this bad or been anywhere where I've experienced Mm -hmm. it like this yeah it's pollen season Mm -hmm. um and pine especially Mm -hmm. well aren't we supposed to be the land of the pines isn't that well we are the we are the city of oaks but right. we, we also have, yeah, tons of evergreen trees. Isn't that wagon wheel? Um, down south to the land of the pines, thumbing my way down to North Carolina. Yes. I think whenever I've heard that song, I've just tuned it out and never <laughs> yeah. really. Rock me, mom, <laughs> yeah. like a leg. Yeah, uh, working not... in the working in the service industry in North Carolina, <clears throat> yeah. I heard that song a lot, and literally just after I, I'm like, I don't even 
know what this is about. I don't care. It I, I don't hear it. Raleigh, so that's Does a, it. I think so. I, I uh, couldn't tell you. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, mo- moving on. And from, Johnson City, Tennessee. Moving on from Wagon Wheel. <laughs> so, we are back into digging from the well of our listener scripts, which keep coming in, which is wonderful. You guys are amazing. Um, and going uh, back a little ways, because yes, I understand that some of the scripts have been hanging around for a while. So we're digging into our vaults here. Um, and this is another submission from Aces, California. Um, if you will recall the Circus Maximus episode. Yes, okay. Aces yeah. also did the research. <coughs> God. Um, I think I think the pollen's yeah. getting to me, too. I found myself sure. runny and stuffy. Um, uh, so Aces has done... Uh, research for us before so they sent this in all right and i'm gonna read the i love reading like the little Mm -hmm. prefaces or like notes to us hello and greetings again rachel uh, oh i didn't announce what it was (laughs) did i (laughs) um uh this is the story of the maxim gorky okay Interesting. Flipping and, yeah. Maxim Gorky. Yes. Okay. I'm not entirely sure what this is about. I, I tried no to kind of understand it, and I don't. So okay. this is all going to unfold in front of us. All right. Hello and greetings again, Rachel and David. I return to the podcast with a sequel fan script for you and the listeners. Mm. Thank you for your positive reception of the Circus Maximus script and your excellent reading of it. <laughs> Butchering of Latin notwithstanding. Yes. <laughs> That's what we're known for. Yes. And then they said, I should have provided a pronunciation guide in hindsight. And I would like to note, this particular script contains a lot of Russian and no pronunciation guide. Thanks, Aces. Even more fun. <laughs> it, I, think, I think it is more entertaining yes, that way. Yes, because he wants to hear how, how bad we'll fuck it they. up. They. They want to hear. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I think so. It's. <laughs> I got to... I got and, Ru- and Russian's pretty easy to fuck up. <laughs> oh, yes. Cyrillic is, is, is pretty hard. <laughs> this is anglicized, <laughs> but still. Um, we got a great email from uh, Rachel, who I believe lives in the UK, based on what they said. Um, and, and Rachel said uh, it, something to the effect of, it's so cute to hear you try to pronounce British places. <laughs> or something <laughs> like that. It was probably referring to my Thames Tims. Debacle. Sure. <laughs> anyway. The Thames. Yes. The famed Thames River. <laughs> the River Thames. The River Thames. No, I was so proud. It was Tim's. Yeah, it's the, Tim's. No, it's not the Tim's. The, the River of the Muss. <laughs> Thames. 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 The Muss. I was heartily surprised that all in all the episode was as long as it was. I've come away from that script with a renewed motivation to continue writing these scripts, and to tell the truth, I may have gone overboard in reaction, as I've compiled a long list of disasters I would like to write about. (laughs) Go for it. I've also come away from the Circus Maximus script with a few things I know I can improve upon, so hopefully that is reflected in this new script. I'd also like to shout out to the community on the All Bad Things Discord set up by Mooftress slash Melody of the Cornfield Meat Podcast. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Applause, yes. applause, applause. Thank you very much. I know there's been calls for a long time to set up one as an alternative to Facebook. Yeah, and we were not 
taking any action to do that. So, and I want to thank Mooftris slash Melody for setting up the channel and to the apparent five or so other fans who created their own Discord channels or so I've heard. To have contact with the community full of like-minded individuals is always exciting. Yes, indeed. Join mm-hmm. the Discord if you're, especially if you're not a fan of kind of the more mainstream social social meets like Facebook and yeah. Twitter. Maybe we'll even do it one day. <laughs> I'm on there. <laughs> I, I still don't know how to, uh, anyway. I'm on there as us. As okay. As ABT pod, I think. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. As us. That's us. I'm on, I'm on there as us. <laughs> <laughs> I speak for both of us, apparently. I still have a list of references provided, but it's by far not as university level cited and as serious as my last script they learned, (laughs) but should still provide enough information to find the resources themselves rather easily. To quickly run down the larger sources I have used in this script, research has been drawn from Find a Grave. You know what? That is a that is an unusually helpful uh, site sometimes. Find a grave. Find a grave because it'll go into like biographical details sometimes that you sometimes can't find other places. Yeah. Aviation Safety Network, TED, I think that's like of TED Talks or mm-hmm. thing. Wired, CNN, Tupolev, Russia Beyond, Popular Science Monthly, and of course, Wikipedia. I'd like to once again thank you both for the podcast's existence. This is the self-pat on the shoulder as we read this. <laughs> and, I th- and I thank the fans for listening in. We're patting mm-hmm. your shoulders. And without further fanfare, the topic for today's episode shall be introduced. In central Moscow sits... <coughs> I'm going to not apologize for my pronunciation, just do my best, plus Russian just feels better when it's stated quickly. I need to figure out a better way. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> Hold I... <my> script. Okay. <laughs> All right. In central Moscow sits Novedovichi Cemetery, the premier cemetery in Russia for the highest profile Russians, such as writers, philosophers, scientists, artists, and the wife of a former Russian president. At Novorovichi Cemetery sits a large triangular headstone plastered with the profile of the famed Russian engineer Andrei Tupolev with a depiction of what he was most known for, one of the many military aircraft that he had designed in his life. Mm. However, if you walk away from the grave of Andrei Tupolev and cross the cemetery, making a left here or right there, Maybe turn around if you arrive at the president's wife, realizing you've gone too far. You will arrive at a large mural plastered across one of the cemetery's walls. The mural is of a large aircraft mid-flight, surrounded by 46 plaques and graves, including that of one of, of the one pilot that would take down one of the largely forgotten early era marvels of aviation and early successors of Andrei Tupolev, the Maxim Gorky. Hmm. All right. Interesting. For the purpose of this audio podcast, the spelling of Maxim Gorky will stick to that spelling, although it has also been spelt as Max. So it's M-A-X-S-M-A-X-I-M is what Mm -hmm. it's written as originally, but it's been spelt M-A-K-S-I-M, which makes the same sound. Um, M-A-K-S-I-M and Gorky with an I instead of Y, and M-A-X-I-M-G-O-R-K-I. <laughs> and then they said, big differences, I know. <laughs> I, I'm so glad I grew up watching hockey specifically because <laughs> That's it, true. It, it does give me a better 
Maybe pr- you pr- should have read this. Yeah, maybe. I'm I enjo- can hand I'm it a- over. I'm enjoying you uh, <laughs> reading it. But yeah, you'll I, uh, if you're a fan of the NHL for the last 30 or 40 years, there's all sorts of weird names that you're like, what? Very true. Like, how can you have an 18-letter last name and 16 of those letters are consonants? <laughs> <laughs> there's only Indeed. one E. Like, how, how is that possible? Andrei Nikolaevich Tupolev was born November 10th, 1888. Eventually, he would become one of the figurehead pioneers in aviation, an important innovator in the industry and founder of the aircraft company that bears his name. However, before all that, he had his start in 1922 with the Aviation Experimental Design Bureau of Andrei and Tupolev, or the Tupolev Design Bureau for short. I'm sure it was even longer in Russian. (laughs) Beginning with a team led by himself, he first designed gliders. That's true. Before they came up with, like, airplanes, they were doing all sorts of wild stuff with... They actually kind of came up with those simultaneously, from what I understand. Like gliders gliders and and airplanes were, you know, coming along at the same time. We still We still used gliders in World War II. Really? I didn't know that. Yes, we did. Really? Yes. Huh. I didn't know that at all. Mm-hmm. Wow. But didn't Da Vinci come up with, like, concepts Maybe. of aircraft? Uh, that or and tanks and all well, sorts of stuff. Well, fair enough. He was a little before his time. Yeah. No wonder they call him the Renaissance. He just man. didn't have the... <coughs> there there were no engineers in his time to be able to pull <laughs> right. it off. I mean, right. that's really yeah. what it came uh-huh. down to. It was all concept. No, yeah. No execution, yeah. But uh, but the thing that came before airplanes themselves, which we went into many episodes mm. ago, were um, Zeppelins. Yes. Uh-huh. I, I didn't realize until we did... Um, Hindenburg. Yeah, that um, airships had been around 20 years before yeah. airplanes had. Yeah, that's wild. Come a long way, baby. Just a little bit. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just hoping for a transcontinental railroad again, right? <laughs> like a high speed train. I know, like, right? That'd be fun. Well, who was it? Was it uh, fucking Musk who was trying to do that? Who was trying to do the underground? Yeah, uh, that was Elon Musk. High, high speed yeah. train. Yeah. He's he's busy blowing up rockets again. Yeah, too now. bad he's a fucking asshole. <laughs> The team only created designs as construction of the gliders was un- construction of the gliders was undertaken by contracted companies, primarily the Central Aerohydronomic Institute of the USSR. There's a word you don't hear much. <laughs> Known under their Russian name. Oh God. <clears throat> Is that the name? <laughs> the Russian name. Oh God. I was like, that, yes. I was like that was pretty simple. Okay. The Russian name. Centralny. Aerogirdrodanimicheski Institute. I'm with it. Okay. Or shortened to just the acronym TSAGI. Yeah. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> you could have just put it that way. Probably. <laughs> no questions asked. Which will be used in the script from here on out. Yes. Thank you, Aces. <laughs> the TSAGI was itself. Can I, can I see? Just out of curiosity. The, the like, yeah. word? Yeah. Yes. Oh, yes. You can see it all. You, see. You're welcome to. So it starts here. Central. That's all one word? Yes. Wait, what? Oh, Aerogidronomics. Aerogidronomicheski. <laughs> want to try that again? Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> you wanted to see it. I just I just put on the fancy uh, <clears throat> Russian part at the end. Nimsky. 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 Alesh Hemsky. 
the TSAGI was itself co-founded by Andrei Tupolev alongside Nikolai Yergorovich Zhukovsky in 1918. Andrei Tupolev's first powered aircraft was designed in 1923. It was a simple airframe, a sport cantilever monoplane. Ooh, easy for aces to say. Titled the Ant-1, or A-N-T-1, for his initials. Sure. <clears throat> Tupolev followed this up by the first all-metal domestic aircraft in 1924, and from there, Andrei Tupolev's sights were set for bigger, more ambitious, and more innovative designs. I hope I'm saying, I hope I'm saying Tupolev right. I keep wanting to say Tupolev, but that's no, like the that's... southern way to say it, so Tupolev. Yeah, like Russian is, again, Cyrillic. It's very sudden. Tupolev. Yeah. Abrupt and yes. harsh, yeah. Like German. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you were wanting to say something. Nah, I, was, yeah, I, was, I, I was, and I was like, it's probably, yeah. Let's not. No. <laughs> Early era designs from Andrei Tupolev were inspired by German engineer Hugo Junkers. I imagine it's Junkers instead of Junkers. Yeah, Junkers. Junkers. From the late 1910s and followed through in Junkers' design as the aesthetics to the Maxim Gorky and beyond. As a result, in 1929, the Ant-9, or Ant-9, I'm not sure if it's which way to go. I'll say Ant-9, was produced, which was Tupolev's first attempt at a passenger aircraft, holding a capacity of nine passengers and two crew. Yeah, you gotta start somewhere. Yeah. You can't get to 100 without nine. What's the... You know what? I don't know what the largest capacity jet is now. I feel like I'm it's sure, a few hundred. I'm sure it's a military aircraft that can... Oh, fair enough. I guess I mean yeah. pass it, like... Commercial. Oh, a uh, commercial? Mm -hmm. I would guess like maybe around 300. That's my thought. A few Somewhere hundred. in there. Three, I would say three to 500. And I know that's a large range, but I don't know the exact answer. There are some giant ass planes that mm -hmm. we've, like I've seen some of those at right. airports. Not, I've never flown on one, but you look at it and you're like, holy shit. There are multi-tiered <laughs> yeah. ones. I've never been on an aircraft with more than one level. No. That would uh -uh. be amazing. But I have seen those and yes. they're fucking huge. Yes. The last grand design by Andrei Tupolev before the construction of the Maxim Gorky was the ANT-25, built in 1933. The aircraft was record-breaking and shattered perception of Russian aviation to the Western world, performing such auspicious flights at around its time as flying from Russia in the United States into the United States over Siberia and the North Pole. That's quite an accomplishment back then. Holy Christ. This flight was spearheaded... I wouldn't, want to, I wouldn't want to be the one to try that no. for the first time. No, 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 no. Like, no. what if you crash in Siberia? Oh, like, God. given you survived the crash, you're in Siberia. What the hell are you going to do? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> do you want to survive at <laughs> no, that point? No, I don't think Oof. you do. I, I doubt it. Especially in, like, 1933. Yeah. There's no uh, uh, there's no 76 around the corner to, no. like, get a Gatorade and a meat stick. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, just crash my plane. Might if I chill here for a little bit? The flight was spearheaded by Mikhail Mikhailovich Gromov, or M.M. M. Gromov, a name... Mikhailovich, probably. Mikhailovich. Well, it's S-H. Mikhailovich? Oh, okay, sure. Uh, Gromov, or M.M. M. Gromov, a name which will become entwined in the story of the Maxim Gorky. There's there's a there's a rookie in the NHL this year. He plays for Minnesota. Yeah, Minnesota. Mm -hmm. His name is uh, Kirill Kaprizov. Karel Kaprizov. Mm -hmm. It sounds like um, I don't I don't know. You freeze your balls off or something like Kaprizov. Kaprizov. What? Karel Kaprizov. Karel Kaprizov. Yes. Karel Kaprizov. Yeah. 
okay. pretty good too. Unsure. Shout out to Zach. He'll he'll know who that is. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. So the Maxim Gorky began construction not too not soon after. Uh, just a year later, or not, I guess not long after, just a year later, after the ANT-25 in 1934. The model name was the Tupolev ANT-20, with the Maxim Gorky being the proof of concept for this aircraft's design. You know, the engineering world is so out of my depth. I don't, like, I've heard of proof of design, but mm. or proof of concept, but I've, I'm not entirely sure what that means, because I know it's, it's like a whole engineering thing. Uh, yeah, I'm guessing it's something that gets submitted to a board and they approve it. Like that's. It sounds like it, but this is the 1930s yeah. in Russia. That's true. I You're submitting it to the government, and they're like, they are the board. <clears throat> they're the everything. Yeah. yeah. And this is a, this is also at a time when yeah, this is all happening during like the fucking revolutions and shit. And it's at, it's at well, planes are still a very new thing. Yes, and in general. Every but every engineer, like if you were, like if you were born like 1925. You're five years old in 1930. You're seeing planes all over the place. So that's, you're like, I want to, I want to work on that in some capacity. They're like, either I want to fly one of those things or because it's a completely new infrastructure that we've never had before. What do you think the current thing is that like green energy it really is renewable energy, renewable, renewable energy and like high speed rail, like a new Mm. way, a new thought process of transportation. Hmm. Oh, and it's it's easily achievable. It's just a matter of wanting to do it. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's a whole other. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I was I was gonna go into a whole thing about <laughs> hoping that this <laughs> but the this, new administration but, might. But put yourself in the frame of mind at this time. Mm-hmm. It is it is the it's the space race before the space race. Yes, the space race mm-hmm. just happens to be within the Earth at mm-hmm. this time. Well, there's so much potential to mm-hmm. fly. Like yeah. it was I can proven do, that it could happen. Its and, original concept was to deliver mail. Yeah, that's what mm-hmm. its original. That's oh, and it still does. Yeah, it does. But that's but people take <laughs> it from. We'll use it to deliver mail because that just seemed like the most practical thing at the time, right. I guess. To mm-hmm. well, why can't we put people in there? Let's deliver people and more people. Mm-hmm. And why can't we put guns on it and, <laughs> and kill <laughs> and people missiles and and shoot at each other? Like we have all this shit to play with. Let's just put uh, it all on the plane. We'll put a piano in there too and a fireplace. <laughs> Do not think there's ever been a fireplace on it. There has been. Are you'll you see them. Me? You'll see them in photos from the 1970s. What? I believe it was Le- a Led Zeppelin flight. Somebody's playing piano next to a fireplace. They're on a plane. It must be like a gas fireplace. It cannot be. There can't be a fucking but, chimney. No, obviously not. But people were doing all kinds of nutty oh shit with God. airplanes up until like where people were like, you know, stop the. I, I now have a, a new phrase. When something is completely useless, I'll say, well, that's as helpful as a fireplace on, a, on an air an airplane. <laughs> like, because what is the point? In that, there's no point. No. There's no point. Other than it's just another hazard to deal with on a plane. Yeah. Like, no thanks. Let's limit those. Oh, my goodness. All right. So the dream of the ANT-20 was first introduced in October 1932. However, it wasn't from the brains of the Tupolev Design Bureau. Instead, the idea originated from the mind of Soviet journalist, board member of Soviet newspaper Pravda, owner of publication Ogonyuk, an NKVD agent, a precursor to the... KGB, I'm yep. guessing. Yeah. Mikhail Kolstov. The idea, which was proposed through the 
Ogonyok publication was to create an airborne squadron of agitators to present propaganda to the remote and rural settlements of the Soviet Union by air, often the easiest way to provide outside materials to these settlements. That is a long-standing uh, strategy. Oh, yeah. Is the dropping, mm-hmm. like, flyers mm-hmm. and shit. They, I know... <laughs> My context for I know they've done it during like wars and stuff, Mm. but I've also um, my context for it is I'm pretty sure they do that in quote missions work, like yeah, yeah, probably paper, (laughs) the most useless thing ever, dropping a bunch of like tracks about how Jesus loves you into like poor areas of other countries. Like with this pamphlet, like uh, you'll go to heaven, so forget this place on earth. Like okay. So I'll just die uh, starving then. But I've got this pamphlet. I have many thoughts on that. We'll, we'll continue. <laughs> it's a bit of a nuanced conversation. Oof. I'll just leave it at that. The squadron was to be dedicated to the 40th anniversary of the literary and public activities of Russian author Maxim Gorky. Ah, there comes the name. <clears throat> With the squadron's name, the Maxim Gorky Propaganda Squadron. Nice. That's just I so like out it. there. Yeah. The Propaganda Squadron. Now I know what to name my uh, my ho- hockey ultimate team, my online yes. team. Yes. What? Say the that propa- again? The Maxim Gorky Propaganda Squadron. Yes. But do even just the Propaganda Squadron. I don't know if that'll fit on a jersey, but I'll try. <laughs> that is a great band name. The Propaganda Squadron. That's perfect, yes. isn't it? I think you need to use the whole thing, though. The Maxim Gorky Propaganda Squadron. Yes. No one's going to get you for copyright infringement. People will be like, what do you mean? (laughs) Maxim Gorky is actually a really great band name, too. It is, yeah. Yeah. Or uh, for a front man. Yes, the Propaganda (laughs) Squadron fronted by Maxim Gorky. Featuring, yeah. (laughs) Or Maxim Gorky and the. The Propaganda Squadron. (laughs) That is so great. That is so great. And the figurehead aircraft of the group being named the Maxim Gorky. The entire, it sounds like, I don't know what it sounds like, um, Corky Romano or See, it, like. It keeps making me think of the uh, late 80s uh, pop metal Russian band, Gorky Park. Oh, really? Yes. I've mentioned them on the show <laughs> okay. before, I think. Um, it also reminds me of uh, Punky Brewster. It's like Corky Romano and Punky Brewster, Max and Gorky. Like it, all those and Gork- names. And Gorky Park. And Gorky they Park. They listen they to all, Gorky Park. They all, <laughs> they all like intertwine in some alternate universe. I wonder if we played Gorky Park, if there would be anybody to even give royalties to, because it was still the USSR at the time. Oh, geez. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. We'd probably know. have to give them to Putin. He'd be like, yeah, those are mine now. Nobody listens to us, so it doesn't no, matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. Our lovely listeners that we love listen to us. Yes. Everybody else ignores us, which is the way we want it. So. <laughs> for for a podcast. <laughs> we want as few listeners as possible. We want zero please. listens every week. That's exactly right. If we see one, we're gonna we're gonna quit. That's what happens when you don't have a financial financial incentive, well, you right? You do what you want. My opinion. All right, the entire squadron would be funded by fundraisers held by the Soviet nation's state-run publications. In return, all the publications would get an aircraft named after them. Oh, naming rights. This is like stadium mm-hmm. naming, yeah. This is includes this includes Pravda, Ogonyok, and Red Star, 
which had its name provided to the only airship in the squadron. The cost oh, of the, there we go. Yeah, airship. airship. Mm-hmm. The cost of the Maxim Gorky aircraft alone is said to have been roughly funded with six million rubles. And no other context for how much that is. <laughs> it's probably nearly impossible to like translate that. So yeah, there's been a lot of currency change ever oh, since yeah. the 1930s. <laughs> in russia (laughs) yeah like trying to keep up with the uh the level of like russian currency or the the rough value and other currency of russian currency in the 1930s is like trying to uh do what i have tried to do this this tax season which is translate uh light light coin into bitcoin and into us dollars it's so fun what (laughs) would you call me uh <clears throat> the Topolev ANT-20 would be a design of immense and record-breaking scale, with eight engines in total, Holy three shit. on each wing, and two mounted on top of the fuselage in a push-pull configuration. That has got to be the weirdest-looking fucking thing. Now, are there pictures with this? Oh, they did include pictures. I want to see what this thing looks like. Let me see. Because I'm imagining it in my head. It looks like Ghidorah from the King of the Monsters. Oh, here we go. <laughs> yeah, kind of does. That is That's kind of what I was yeah. thinking. That really is. Do you like the red... Oh, here's some more pictures. Do you like the red stars on the wing? Yes, I do. Look at the size of that fucking Huge. thing. Huge. It's the size of the square. Of the of the yeah, city square. Basically. Or the, the wingspan, rather. Holy Look Christ. That. Like, that's such an interesting design. I guess, <laughs> I mean, early aircraft. Well, it's kind of... At this point, you're kind of in an anything goes sort of as long as it works. You know, there's no, there's no actual standards for aircraft in the <clears throat> 1930s. Not regulating. No, I'm sure there are certain ones, mm-hmm. very small things. But as far as hey, if you come up with a new design and it flies, we're rolling with it. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll work with you at least, <laughs> yeah. right? Oh my goodness, we're like two pages in. <laughs> the wingspan of this aircraft was 60. Three meters in width, two hundred ten feet. Wow. Yeah, larger than the previous record holder, the Kalinin K7, which only had a wingspan of fifty-three meters or one hundred seventy-three feet. That's just uh, that's a, that's like two-thirds of a, yeah, a little over two-thirds of a football field. Mm. The wingspan. Man. Uh, to place this in comparison to the current record holder, 2019's Strato Launch, the Strato Launch has wingspan of 117 meters or wow. 383 feet, which is just under two times larger than that of the ANT-20. Wow. Lengthwise, the ANT-20 was longer than the Kalinin K7 as well, at a length of 33 meters or 107 feet, to the Kalinin K7's 28 meter length, 91 feet. However, this was one record the ANT-20 didn't break, as the 1929 Dornier, 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 uh, do, do or do? X anyway whatever that is held that a body length, that one had a, held a body length of 40 meters or 131 feet again to compare with the current record holder being the 2020 Boeing 777X the 777X has a length of 76 meters or 249 feet just under two and a half times larger than the ANT-20 so basically this is a big ass plane but they've made them bigger since so yes However, the scale of the plane contrasted to the size of the readily available and average aircraft in this area of flight uh, can be seen 
by looking at photos of the ANT-20 on the ground and its images taken beside other aircraft. A direction to Rachel and David to look at the images provided. That is a, an aircraft of the day. <laughs> this is the oh, actual. No. It's like it looks like a baby the, the, and, and well, well the, the other one looks like a toy. It literally it does. Well, the people look like toys compared mm-hmm. to it. They look like little soldiers, like yeah. little tin soldiers or something. Yeah, it does look like a like a early version of a GI Joe set. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, you will also be able to notice the unique. Junker's aesthetic of using all corrugated sheet metal for the fuselage. That's what that is. I was wondering about that. The corrugated sheet metal, the lines mm-hmm. that you see there. Sheet metal. Yeah. For an airplane. Yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, we've evolved from that. <laughs> what do they use now for the bodies of airplanes? It's not, well, steel, I imagine, right? Yeah, it's definitely not sheet metal. I don't think so anymore. I hope <laughs> held not. Held together, held down by like bolts that some yeah. dude put in, riveted yeah. in. Oh boy. The maximum speed of the ANT-20 was 220 kilometers per hour or 149 wow. miles per hour. For back then, that doesn't seem too bad. For something that size, mm-hmm. especially. It could also hold a maximum capacity of, oh my God, this whole thing could hold eight crew. Oh, and 72 total passengers. Okay, oh, that's okay. better. Yeah. That's better. <laughs> I so thought it was 80... just saying eight people no. total. No, eight Well, we, we mentioned before 80 people, I think. <clears throat> Though passengers is used in a loose manner, as those on board the Maxim Gorky often would not be using the Maxim Gorky as transport, but rather as a unique mixture of office block, print house, and barracks. That's interesting. A yeah. multi-purpose airplane, I guess. All right. Because inside of the maximum Gorky's fuselage and in the wing and in the wings themselves, it would contain a powerful radio system that blasted from the underbelly of the aircraft through speakers to broadcast propaganda and music from 3,000 feet, called the Voice from the Sky. Yeah, I'm sure it was. (laughs) A fully functioning printing press to produce the propaganda pamphlets. Oh, wow. Printing press to produce propaganda pamphlets (laughs) to spread over rural settlements. So they would actually print them inside the plane. That's bonkers. Like, who thought of that? Like, who was the last guy (laughs) to be like, you know what we should put in this thing is a printing press. You know, in the early (laughs) days of flight, I kind of feel like they were like, there were no rules. No, there weren't. It was like Outback Steakhouse. No rules, just raw. <laughs> yes, it was just like that. <laughs> it also contained a fully complete photographic studio, complete with their own dark room and, for developing on the fly. And why uh-huh. would you want to be doing all of this in a plane? I don't know. In the 1930s. I don't want to do that on a plane today. And it's <laughs> yeah. way safer. I don't want to be in a dark room on a plane. <laughs> Fuck that. <laughs> Would you want to be on a plane in complete pitch darkness? Hell no. I mean, I guess. No way. Uh, if I guess if someone do, is unable to see and they go on a plane, that's essentially what they're dealing yeah, with, I but guess. not that. Yeah. Well, it was like when they're they, accustomed to such things. It I was like imagine, a, but... a couple of years ago, uh, like an engineering firm came up with that design of like the front part of the fuselage and like the beginning of. Uh, first class would be clear. <gasps> like, a, like you see So down? you can see. And, no. And yeah, people were like, no. No, thank you. <laughs> like, we don't like this. Because you can control looking out the window, mm-hmm. but you can't 
control looking right down below your feet. And there's also something... That's, a, that's what roller coasters are for. Yes. There's something very different between turning your head and looking out a window and looking down and seeing yeah. space. Yeah. <laughs> You can you can look those up on on the on Google. Oh it's God. I mean it's no wonder they put the it's like, actually, cult on that. It's a really cool design, but it's just like no, this would just scare the shit out of people. <laughs> they don't want to see them, they don't want to see themselves no. land like, oh. underneath their feet. Oh my God, know? that's true. I didn't even think about landing. Yeah, no, you see the ground coming closer and closer yeah. and closer. Oh my God, no, 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 no. no. It was like that. That was a good try. Like you get an cute idea the bob we're gonna have to say (laughs) we're gonna have to pass on this yes there'd be several heart attacks for every flight oh my god Mm. so they also i'm surprised they didn't also include that on they're like we have this we have this clear uh, corrugated sheet yeah laying around like why don't we put it on the bottom of the plane so everybody can see what's going on who wouldn't want to see yeah we'll put it at the bottom of the dark room With a shade that you can draw over it. <laughs> yeah. Also, we're not even done. Also on board were several other radio stations. That I can... Well, I mean, that's... I guess you can broadcast. That actually well, that's, makes sense. that's natural. There's, <laughs> there's communication systems just within the plane. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, mm-hmm. that makes sense. But yeah. I'm still not on board with the printing press and in the fucking dark no, room. Same. <laughs> also present was were all the amenities the staff of the Maxim Gorky could need. A saloon. Okay, I'm, I, I'm that. on board yeah. for that. <laughs> a cafe. That. I'm good with that. A buffet. Sure. Passenger cabins, sleeping compartments, luggage space, and lavatories. I, okay, I, I so they, they I got most things right. Yeah. Things. And finally, the cockpit, which had its own sleeping compartment for the pilots. I don't necessarily want my pilot sleeping. Well, here's the other thing, too, is it's but. just not practical because you can't be in flight that long. Certainly not back then, right? <laughs> no. Like, you can be today, but not... How long? They can go, like, 12 hours now-ish? Yeah, I mean, you have regular commercial routes that do that, but back then, nobody no, was flying that distance, so, not so in one why, go. Do you need a sleeping compartment if you can only be up in the air May, for a few hours? The only thing I can think of is maybe it's almost it's like a flying truck, like, maybe when they land, like, the pilots just have oh, some place to hang oh, out. Maybe. I mean, that's the only... But they're certainly not sleeping while they're in the air. I hope not. <laughs> I fucking... Did they have autopilot back then? Probably not, because so. to a small degree, maybe. <laughs> or they just had two pilots on board and they I could mean, you, swap off. This is when you literally barely have computers. This is when computers first start to come into... I am so fucking glad I was not alive. I mean, you know, we're all going to die because of climate change, but at least we're not going to die from being in a... <laughs> A plane that somebody's sleeping when they should be flying the plane. I don't know. It's weird. It's weird, man. Technologically, the ANT-20 was the first to use both direct and alternating currents. As well as an onboard radio system to speak between compartments. Also present was the first example of an unfolding staircase leading into the plane, which would fold away when time for departure came. Yeah, Yeah, you used to see those all the time. Mm -hmm. We... We did that once, right? I think the so. The tarmac. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we did. I think when we were in Philadelphia. I've never been to Philadelphia. No? No. What? Maybe <laughs> I don't I'm know thinking who you of... were with. I, <laughs> no, I, I flew quite a, <laughs> quite a bit before we met. No, when uh, <clears throat> we were. Where were we going? The Dominican Republic or whatever? Somewhere. And we thought we had plenty of time, and then I thought I heard 
on our connecting flight, and then I thought I heard um, my name. Over oh the... no, that was in um, that was in uh, New York City, right outside of New York City. We were was flying it? into LaGuardia. Yeah. Okay. Well, at any rate, I feel like we boarded a staircase. I think we did. Okay. Because we, we weren't. To this day have no idea. Because we were what only. Was going on I there. think we did because we were only flying from uh, LaGuardia to Hartford. Because that's where we had to get okay. picked up. And that's okay. like like a, literally like a 20-minute flight. Yeah. All I know is that we landed with like an hour before our flight. And then we landed and then all of a sudden it's like everyone else is already on the plane. And we're the fucking late people that they're waiting for. We're like the last call. I have no and, idea yeah, how that happened. I don't either. Anyway. Um, construction of the ANT-20 began on July 4th, 1933, and was wrapped up in quick succession in less than a year on April 3rd, 1934, before its first flight in the, in June of the same year. The first flight was piloted uh, by a name already previously mentioned, M.M. Gromov, who was quoted as saying about the Maxim Gorky that it was, quote, an amazing plane. It is exceptional in its flight characteristics and aerodynamics. The machine has an impeccable steering. It is extremely convenient and simple to fly the world's largest aircraft. End quote. Now, keep in mind, it's for the time. <laughs> sure. I'm sure he would be much more impressed with modern aircraft, but... I don't know. This is still pretty impressive for the time. I, I'm, I mean, I'm it just is, like, yeah. That's not, like, that's, wow. not, that's not overstating it, yeah. Later, on June 19th, M.M. Gromov would again fly the plane for its first public appearance over Red Square, Moscow, for a parade organized to honor the heroes of the Soviet Union. That yep. picture mm-hmm. is. Yep. Mm-hmm. This is where the previous image referenced, yep, showing the Maxim Gorky with two other aircraft was taken. Okay. The Maxim Gorky from this flight had caught the public's attention, drawing envy from the Western world and inspiring the creatives of the Soviet Union. A 1934 painting by Soviet artist Vasily Kuptsov portrayed the Maxim Gorky mid-flight and can now be found hanging in the Russian Museum at St. Petersburg. Hmm. However, apart from these two recorded flights, very little other flights were made with the Maxim Gorky before its untimely demise, just being over one year old of its maiden flight at the time of the crash. Hmm. Well, I mean, this is a disaster podcast. Yeah. We knew this was going yeah, somewhere yeah, bad. We were having so much we fun. Fun's over. Jeez, aces. You could have given us a head up. Heads up. Oh, wait. This is a disaster podcast, so I guess we should have expected it. All right. For the sake of those not exactly geographically inclined, that's very sweet to put it that way, aces. We know what you mean. You mean us. Allow us to detail where you can find Moscow and all sites connected to the disaster. So Moscow, which is the capital of Russia and former Soviet Union, is located on what is commonly mapped and understood as the, quote, European side of Russia, with Moscow being near enough center between Lapland by Finland to the north and the Caucasus Mountains, (laughs) I have to be careful saying that, Caucasus Mountains in the south and approximately 450 kilometers or 275 miles east of the Russian border with their closest neighbor, Belarus. I'm sure I could have I could have told you all that. Sure. <laughs> Not at all. Me too. <laughs> the Moscow Central Aerodome, in which the Maxim Gorky was tested, is located northwest of Moscow at an area called Kodinka Field. The Moscow Central Aerodome is also known in Russian as either the Moskva Kodinka Central Aerodome or Frusa Central Aerodome, named after Bolshevik leader Mikhail Frunza. 
The Aerodome was founded in 1910, initially for civilian use. However, it also picked up the purpose of being a scientific testing center for the Red Army's Air Force, this becoming its only purpose in 1936 after civilian flights moved out of Moscow Central Aerodome and into the newer Moscow Bykovo Aerodome. I guess Aerodome just means airport, basically. Sure. For the time. That's what I'm getting. Yeah. <laughs> As an aside, I, don't, I don't think it was a dome that they built and no. <laughs> flew airplanes inside of. Probably not. It's like the Superdome. We don't mean super airport or superport. As an aside regarding Kodinka Field, the area of Moscow has a tragic history for itself. As on May 30th, 1896, oh, a crush occurred during festivities during mm. the crowning of Tsar Nicholas II, resulting in 1,389 deaths and oh a further God. estimated 1,300 injuries. Okay, that's a tragedy all, all I guess we just itself. discovered a new mm-hmm. topic. Jeez. 1,300 <clears throat> people, almost 1,400 people di- died. Yeah. So thinking oh the amount God. of injury is probably 10 well, times no, that. Well, no, 1,300. Oh, okay. Ace yeah. said. Another location that will be important to the story of the Maxim Gorky is the Dacha settlement of Sokol. Sokol was founded in 1923 and located to the northeast of Moscow Central Aerodrome. It mainly contained low-rise Dacha homes. I, I hope I'm pronouncing it. Dacha? D-A-C-H-A. Dacha? I would say Dacha. Yeah. Mm. It was designed initially as a city garden, an architectural concept attempting to combine urban living with an emphasis on green spaces. We've discussed that before. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can't even remember. I feel like it was in the um, Grenfell episodes we were talking I about. I think so. It was like yes. uh, urban spaces, but designed to include greenery. Yeah, that was like a thing uh, for a while. Um, however, it picked up the name Artists' Village due to the many prominent Soviet artists who called that area their home and the subsequent naming of streets to these Soviet artists. Now you may be wondering, what exactly is a dacha? To put it simply, they are the Russian version of a holiday home. Oh, okay. Typically, they are seasonal or year-round second homes, which before the Bolshevik Revolution was gifted to the nobles of Russia by the Tsar, but after the revolution became state-owned and either converted to vacation homes for loyal factory workers or gifted to the highest levels of Soviet governance, as well as the Communist Party's cultural and scientific elite. Somehow, I feel like Aces and Lee would get along very well. They'd have so many Russian things to Mm -hmm. discuss, yes. All right, so now we're getting into the flight and crash of the Maxim Gorky. The story of this incident begins on the day before the flight, May 17th, 1935. The planned excursion for the day after had its flights assignments provided this day with a squadron of the aircraft planned to take planned to take to the skies to record a propaganda film taking off from Moscow Central Aerodrome before making a loop around the Kodinka field and Sokol area before returning back to land at Moscow Central Aerodrome. Sometimes when I'm doing listener scripts, I kind of forget how to read the English language. (laughs) (laughs) If you hear me stumbling, that's because that's what's going on. No big deal. Sometimes I forget English. Oh, and even even Jessel's like, yeah, this happens. He's, he's not being an asshole this recording. He's Mm-mm. being very sweet. He's just been sleeping the whole time. He has been sleeping. He got very, uh, very 
Clee this morning. He was just laying in my arm. Mm-hmm. Sleeping. He likes to lay on my arms these days. Oh. Okay. Okay. The flight assignments <laughs> were provided by one of the two squadron flight engineers, Sergei Fedorovic. Matvinko and given to the three crews manning three aircraft making up the squadron. The Maxim Gorky would be the main aircraft in the excursion crewed by nine members. Being. I'm not allowed to make fun of my Russian pronunciation because I'm about to say nine different names. That's fine. The pilot. Nikolai Simonovich Zhurov. The co-pilot. Ivan Vasilovic Mikiv. The squadron flight engineer, Sergei Matvinko. Squadron flight engineer, Peter Vlasov. Squadron engineer, Alexander Begum. TSAGI engineer, Valentin Bunin. Another TSAGI engineer, Alexander Kravtsov. TSAGI flight mechanic, Ivan Fomin. Another TSAGI flight mechanic, Vladimir Lekuzo. And another TSAGI flight mechanic, Alexei Medvedev. Medvedev. Yes, okay. Yeah. Medvedev. Yeah, mm. that's correct. Medvedev. Yeah. Is that a hockey player? There, there have been several hockey <laughs> players with that, with that last I name, yes. I that's like a common last name then. Probably is. Okay. Yeah. Medvedev? Med, med, Medvedev. Medvedev. Sorry. <laughs> Medvedev. Also on board the Maxim Gorky during the period of the flight would be 26 passengers, composed of engineers, technicians, and general workers, Communist Party representatives, and TSAGI shock workers, as well as their families, of which included mm. six children. The flight would be piloted by Nikolai Zhurov and Ivan Mikiv. A point of contention regarding researching of the disaster is that many resources for the disaster appear to have fed off each other information-wise as they all claim that the pilot was I.S. Zurov. However, the grave for the pilot of the Maxim Gorky named him as Nikolai Zurov, and a grave of a disaster victim feels like a source of information that trumps all other forms of media. So that must have been the find a grave. Uh, Sure piece of information that is tough sometimes when you're doing research on stuff like this you'll find like a discrepancy but then it seems like all the all the sources on one side are feeding off of each other and all the sources of the other side are feeding off of each other it's hard to tell what's Mm -hmm. what's real but i agree that whatever is on the grave would probably be most yeah you know like they you get the name right on somebody's gravestone Mm -hmm. you know Accompanying the Maxim Gorky on the excursion would be two other aircraft. The first would be a Polikarpov R5, which would be piloted by Vivi Rybushkin, with the sole passenger on board being a camera person who would be filming the propaganda flight from above. Oh my god, is there footage of this, or was there footage? I'm guessing it's not in... Tact. Yes. <laughs> or or uh, viewable at this point, but yeah. we'll see. Um, the second aircraft would be a Polikarpov I-5, which would be piloted by Nikolai Blagin, with the aim to demonstrate the Maxim Gorky's immense size in comparison to the common plane of the Red Army's Air Force at the time. So this is 1935, so that's actually pretty hardcore filmmaking if they've got, like, two other planes uh entouraging it that's freaking that's just 86 years ago that's not even that long ago i mean i think 1935 was a while ago (laughs) no but i'm in the context of everything and how far we've come with flight 
No, that's true. Which was only introduced mm-hmm. 30 years prior to that. That's true. It's, yeah, it's not that long ago. You're right. Nikolai Pavlovich Blagin was a Soviet test pilot who began to fly professionally in 1920 after graduating from a list of different flight schools, being the Ilya Moromets Aircraft Division, the Moscow Aviation School, and the Higher Military School. Nikolai Blagin was taught underneath the famous Soviet air aviator, and who we've mentioned before, M.M. Gromov during this time. And post-graduation, Blagin pr- transferred to the TSAGI to become a test pilot for Tupolev's main prototypical projects. Conflicting stories now arise into what occurred after the flight assignments were handed out, so both will be covered initially in the script. One telling of the day before the fatal flight recalled that after the flight assessments were handed out by Matvinko, the co-pilot of the Maxim Gorky, Ivan Mikiv, warned Blagan, just don't try to show off. Stay away. Mm. Mm. I feel like we know where this is going now. There's three there's three planes. Remember, if you have to tell somebody that who is a pilot in 1935, that's probably not the. You're a hot dog. Like, like, it's like okay, Maverick. Like, (laughs) yeah, chill out. Still have never seen Top Gun. I'm not even sure if I would watch it at this point. (laughs) Is it that bad? No, but it's just. uh, I've seen the take my breath away scene. Sure, but talk talk about a movie that if you watched it again today. H would, poorly? Would, no, would just be drowned in 1980s Reagan propaganda. Oh, Jesus. I can only imagine. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it's... Maybe we should watch it. Then. Yeah, I'm sure it's, it's, dri- I'm sure it's dripping with that. Mm-hmm. So, Blaine had said, just don't try to show off. Stay away. To which... Uh, Oh, sorry. That was uh, McKeev who said that to Blake. And then Blagan responded, well, what am I, little? I've been flying for 15 years. Well, yeah. I mean, that's... Uh, well, like, yeah. I'm sure there's plenty of bravado in being a pilot. Oh, and especially at this time, you're like, hey, mother... Like, I'm the one doing the flying. Jesus. Like, can you fly a plane? No? Okay. Mm. No, these are two pilots. No, 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 but yes, I just can. <laughs> no, I, I, but I mean, you know, like I'm the one leading this. Yeah. So you just, you just trying to put him in his place, kind of thing. Yeah. How? So that's one narrative. However, in a conflicting telling from the night of May seventeenth, Nikolai Blagin's Blagin's win, widow later testified. Well, okay. So first, we have to keep in mind this is his widow, right? Testified that Blagin had told her overnight that. Quote, tomorrow I am flying again to accompany this Bandora, and even with the with tricks, I don't like this idea. End quote. Now, I'm not saying that a loved one survivor of somebody who dies tragically, like, is going to lie or whatever, but I can also understand there, especially with very little record back in this time, there being an impulse to paint one's loved one in a better light. Well, yeah, naturally. But, but I, yeah. at this point, we have no idea which of these no. two is. So what a Bandura is, the script writer has as little idea as the host probably did. <laughs> well said, Aces. I have no idea. But the closest thing that w- uh, that could be found on a Bandura is it being a traditional Ukrainian string instrument. If it was Soviet slang, we might never know. Maybe Lee's a, Lee knows. Maybe Lee can tell us if he does know. We'll, uh, we'll include it in a future episode of so. Cell. As the night of May 17th turned into the morning of May 18th, the Maxim Gorky laid on the tarmac and loaded its many crews, crew and passengers before the squadron took over 
having another hard time reading. <laughs> Sorry. Before the squadron took to the air close to midday. The flights took off from Moscow Central Moscow. Moscow Central Aerodome with the Maxim Gorky activating their voice in the sky loudspeakers blasting marching music out to Kodinka Field and Sokol as they began their circle around the area. I don't know why that's funny to me. <laughs> <coughs> Just picturing this plane like dun 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 although it would not No, it works. It's it's the same thing as It's the same thing as listening to, you know, metal music in the locker room before a hockey game. It's just exactly. That's exactly what they're doing. Yeah. They get everybody like on the same page, like fired up. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's propaganda, really. Yeah. Exactly what it is. Yeah. The squadron would level off around 700 meters above Mos- Moscow. I said Moscow again. I'm like turning into... Ma- I'm, Moscow. I'm Midwestern all of a sudden. The R-5 slightly higher than the Maxim Gorky to film the aircraft and the I-5 of Blagan side by side. Soon Nikolai Blagan began to perform loops around the Maxim Gorky. Ooh, ooh, oh boy. So one of the accompanying planes is starting to like yeah, encircle it. Oh I, my God. Yeah. Spinning around the fuselage of the Maxim Gorky. Succeeding once, then twice, but mm. disastrously stalled part way into the third loop. Mm. Nope, nope, nope. Mm-mm. I don't like this. I don't like where this is going. The small military aircraft that was the I 5 struck the right wing. Which is, which is this? Well, I mean, yeah. that's not the exact plane. No, but it's the, the model, same it's, model. It's a, well, I don't know if it is or not. This isn't the two of no. This oh, okay. is just at this at just just for scale. Mm, oh, okay, but um, much smaller <laughs> than this football field of a of a plane. Um, <clears throat> so the I five struck the right wing of the Maxim Gorky and became lodged. So it didn't just like bounce off; it it embedded, oh, God. tilting the planes to the right. Reportedly, the Maxim Gorky's pilots and crew attempted to nurse the plane back to Moscow Central Aerodrome, but to no avail. With all eight of the air... Oh my god, all eight of the aircraft's engines turned off and attempt to glide Mm -hmm. the plane back home. The aircraft would soon lose control and end up disintegrating in midair. Jesus Christ. First striking a forest of pine trees before resting in the garden city of Sokol, destroying multiple Dhaka homes along oh with Oh my god. Jesus, so it, it hit houses. Uh, yeah, it landed into a freaking neighborhood. Mm. 45 people in total died in the incident. It became the deadliest, heavier than air aircraft since aircraft crash since the 1919 Verona Caproni CA 48 crash, which killed up to 17 people, depending on what sources you read. So it blew that, like blew past 17 people by quite a bit. Those who died in the crash of the Maxim Gorky included all 26 passengers and nine crew of the Maxim Gorky, as well as Nikolai Blagan flying the I-5. Additionally, if you did the quick maths in your head, you'd notice nine deaths unaccounted for. These additional nine deaths were those citizens of Sokol that died after the wreckage of the Maxim Gorky landed in their neighborhood. Jeez. So you're just, you're just fucking <clears throat> in your house and a plane crashes into you. Again, this is also, is this 1935 or 36? Yes, 35. 35. 
planes being in the sky is still not really a normal no, thing. Yeah. Like it's I, not. I it's, imagine if you live relatively close to an airfield, it like might be a little more used to it. Yeah. But still, <laughs> no, 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 no. We're used to seeing all sorts of planes on our like back deck mm-hmm. because we live not far from the local airport, but. We don't expect any of them to crash into us, that's for No, sure. we don't. But, I mean, it could happen. It could technically happen. It could technically happen. Yep, but... Odds the, are very the, in our favor, but still. The the freaking international airport, which is five miles up the road. Yep. I mean, planes fly in and out of there all day, every day. Yeah. So... Hundreds, I would imagine. Yeah. But these poor people were just in their uh, houses. Yeah. Ugh. Almost immediately after the crash, NKVD units and cadets of the nearby military schools arrived at the scene to attempt to provide aid. The R5 of VV Rybushkin returned. Oh, so there was one that one plane. Remember, there were three mm-hmm. planes total, mm-hmm. so one was okay. This time alone, back to Moscow Central Aerodrome. Oh my god, the film taken of the crash by the camera person on board was withdrawn and classified away from public eyes. So there was footage of this. Oh yeah. my god. Mm. What comes next needs to be taken with a pinch of salt, uh-huh, as only one source has told this story. But it's something that isn't far out of the question for the Soviet Union. Another Soviet state-owned publication named TASS wrote a report the day after the crash announcing a state fire order was carried out over just a couple of hours opposed to a lengthy and full-blown commission. Ah, so like, okay, let's wrap this up. And this fire order concluded that, quote, the cause of the disaster as established by the investigation is a violation of Pilot Blagan, who who died with his plane, an order on the order of escorting Maxim Gorky. Thus, Maxim Gorky died from the pilot's indiscipline from that very airy mischief, end quote. I'm sure that's, it's rough Russian translation, right? But still. So basically, they're like, you, you know, nothing to see here. No big deal. Just, Blagan just kind of went rogue and that was that. Like and- Chernobyl. Like, <laughs> yeah. 50 years later. It was mm-hmm. like, what nuclear explosion? What, what are you talking mm-hmm. about? No, there's just graphite everywhere. Mm-hmm. And this result was backed up by Blagan's own teacher, M.M. Gromov, who claimed of Blagan, my, quote, my student was a type of disorganized person. True, he seemed to have tightened up recently, but his bad habits still broke through. I'm talking about his bravado, disgrace in the air, end quote. So here's the thing. Here's the tricky thing. From everything that I understand to this point, which is only what Aces has told us, but it sounds... Like, on one hand, it's a little bit of a tidy smear campaign. But on the other hand, if the dude really did loop-de-loops around this plane, I mean... Was it for, like, cool shots? Or was he trying to be a hot dog? Or what was going on? Uh, It's probably all of the above. Or is that not at all what happened? And, like, all all I keep thinking of is is this, okay? In terms of propaganda, because this is... That's the territory we're yes. in now. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yes, this is the Soviets. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are communists. They are this. They are that. They are mm-hmm. all of those things. But it's like we do the same thing. Oh, of course. Like, like when it comes to <laughs> yeah, I, I mean that's it's it's like propaganda is just universal. Like it doesn't mm-hmm. matter what governmental structure you have. It sometimes it's more blatant than others. Uh, sure, 
and can I say something that might be highly controversial? Uh, I don't know, but the, uh, <laughs> okay. All right. I would posit, especially from <laughs> things that we have learned about the nature of these types of events, that things, for example, the military salutes at sporting events, perhaps yeah, but the crowd is propaganda. Oh well, it it absolutely is. Okay, it's not right. it's, it's not perhaps like so, the okay. yeah. Okay. I mean the the, the Star Spangled Banner was literally. <laughs> Well, it was literally Why started. Why the fuck are we singing that at sports games? Yeah. But its history is at sporting events. It was literally started as propaganda mm-hmm. during the 1918 mm-hmm. World Series to s- celebrate the soldiers of World War One. Yep. It was something to all right. Let's get the crowd on their feet during mm-hmm. the seventh inning stretch. See how they react, and they reacted. Capitalism meet propaganda. <laughs> Hello, we're besties. Yeah. Well, and mm-hmm. again, under any other structure too. I mean, prop. Propaganda is not always bad. In this case, yes. But it's it's a tool that it doesn't matter. Like, you're going to use it. Mm. Anyway, we'll move on. Yeah, we should. <laughs> Before we get too... Uh, too bogged down. Not that I'm saying no, that it's... people who serve the country are not deserving of accolades or what have you. It's just an uncomfortable intersection of capitalism and uh other things that make me uncomfortable that's all i'm saying anyway okay nikolai blegin was subsequently publicly blamed in a trial by media and ridiculed well and and that also kind of makes sense why whether it's true or not his wife said what she did sure yeah uh, at one point, a Polish publication claimed that Blagan had told his wife that he planned to purposefully crash into the Maxim Gorky in an act of anti-communist terrorism. Now, so in my opinion, not that that's impossible, but that just sounds like fucking slander. Is all that sounds like yeah. to me. Yeah. This, however, was quickly discredited. Okay, <laughs> quickly discredited even by those who blamed and ridiculed Blagan due to the Polish publication itself being anti-communist. Okay, well then, then maybe there's a so, reason so for that's it. so that's ah, where we are. Everybody has an agenda. You get an agenda. You get an agenda. <laughs> but as always with the Soviet Union, it would come to realization that the glory of the Soviet Union comes first, no matter the expense. The truth must always be hidden if it disgraces the Soviet Union. Okay, you know, there are disturbing parallels. Parallel. I mean, again. Disturbing, like I'm Disturbing just... parallels. I fully admit it. <laughs> I'm like the entire American 20th century, Jeez. 21st century. Mm. I mean, you could almost describe in that last sentence. Yes. I mean, I, I mean I'm with you. <laughs> as recently as 2010, it was revealed that NKVD officers did investigate the crash further than the fire order apparently initially performed, and their findings discovered that two military document- documentary film producers who were creating the propaganda from the R5 film had met with pilots without permission of flight engineers Matvinko and Vlasov insisted that uh insisted that the pilots perform stunts oh for the propaganda filming i'm not entirely buying that either Uh, mm. i mean this is yeah everybody's speaking out of both sides of their mouth Mm, at this point it's getting more and more tangled where it's harder to tell Mm -hmm. which i'm sure is part of it oh that's that's the whole the whole point is to make it too confusing so nobody knows what's real that's Muddy the waters. Yeah. Jeez. 
This was orders given over the heads of all those in charge of the flight, let alone Madvinko and Vlasov. These two film producers, named as V.G. Razki and A.A. Pullen, were arrested, but what happened after that is unknown. Well, we know what happened Uh, after that. The initial story released through TASS, which discredited Blagan's name and legacy, was most likely nothing more than NKVD's official cover story for the crash to protect the arses. I like that. I just like that. Arse. Arse. Uh, Arses of the Communist Party's own film producers who spurred them on. Recent campaigning has attempted to reinvigorate Blagan's legacy as a casualty of government pressuring. After the crash, the victims were treated with great respect, with the families of the victims being provided a lump sum of 10,000 rubles each, as an allowance for each family to establish an increased pension provision. All the victims were buried in a state-funded funeral at the Novodovichi Cemetery on May 20th under a memorial mural of of the Maxim Gorky in flight set in a relief. All victims were cremated unless their last wishes stated otherwise and their cremation urns were placed behind bronze plaques bearing their names. Unfortunately, a father and son who wished not to be cremated were accidentally cremated with both their urns laying behind a shared plaque bearing both their names. Oh, that sucks. Because I do believe very much in, like, what people want to happen to sure. their bodies after death. I mean, I'm I'm of the uh, harvest everything you can for me and then, like, put my body at the body farm in Texas, you know, see what happens when I decompose or whatever. <laughs> On a lighter note. <laughs> but... Like, I feel like it's, like, kind of it's a last sign of respect to do with a person's body what they themselves stated, if that is what happened. So it's really unfortunate when shit like that happens, Mm -hmm. because it just feels like a a last act act of disrespect, you Mm -hmm. know, even if it's unintentional. That's sad. There were six victims who wished not to be cremated, and as such, standing in front of the memorial are six graves for this vic- these okay. victims. Well, that's that's good. At least there's that. Also laid to rest in the memorial is Nikolai Blagan himself, and his family, too, received some of the same 10,000 rubles provided to families of the victims. Okay, so sure. even if they were, kind of, it was kind of a smear campaign, regardless of who shared what blame, got some money, well... Ever innovating, Andrei Tupolev and the Tupolev Design Bureau replaced the ANT-20 after the crash of the Maxim Gorky. Oh, yeah, you couldn't... <laughs> you couldn't just... <laughs> no. That plane's not going to fly again. No. Uh, you have to move on. With a replacement aircraft building on its success titled the ANT-20 BIS in 1936. Largely identical in design to the original ANT-20, the ANT-20 BIS was this time built with six engines on stronger power. The aircraft was designated PS-124 and was provided to Russian commercial flag carrier airline Aeroflot. Oh, yes, yes we have. We have (laughs) done disaster. Yes, it was. Yep. It's it's still their main airline. Mm -hmm. For services between Russia and Uzbekistan and Turkmenistan, at that time both still part of the USSR. Its first flight of the ANT-20 BIS was... Um, maybe it's 20 bis 
It's small B-I-S, anyway. Was in 1938, but unfortunately had just as catastrophic end to its <clears throat> as its predecessor. Wow. On, four, on December 14th, 1942, the pilot on service allowed a passenger to take his seat. <gasps> this is so similar the to the fuck it is, yes. Uh, to experience what a fly, what flying a plane would be like, the passenger accidentally disengaged yeah. the automatic pilot, and before the plane could be recovered, it crashed for roughly 50 kilometer, kilometers southwest of Tashkent, Uzbekistan, killing all 36 on board. It's this almost is, exactly like... It is basically, except it's not like a fucking five-year-old, it's an adult human. Yes. Oh and my god. a lot less people on board, thankfully. Yes. uh-huh. But yeah, it's almost... <laughs> Jesus. The pilot allowed a passenger to take his. It's like hair, like and like if you're just that person, like why would you even want to like no, like I'm good, like I'm fine, like you. Oh man, you like the pilot guy. You're the pilot, pay- right? That's what I'm paying for this <laughs> ticket for. Like, no, you for keep you flying to do this. <laughs> you know, it's, it's so not funny. the same as like pulling over and like mm-hmm. having like your 14 year old. You're going to drive, drive in the, the car- parking lot or something. Yeah, it's not the same thing. <laughs> no. At all. Also, I think it's so weird to think of because like these days the cabin door is like locked and bulletproof mm-hmm. and shit. Yep. So it's just very foreign <laughs> to us to think about that. Just the, I mean, yeah, early. Avi- hey pal, sure. Early aviation, like pilots and I think crew, they were, they were on like a, they were like goalies. They were fucking like a. They were like in a different headspace. Different headspace. I'm. I'm with you. Um. Oh, here is. Uh, oh man. Yeah, some of the destruction mm-hmm. and then the memorial. Mm-hmm. That's actually a really That's nice a really memorial. Nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I believe this is uh, Tupolev. Okay. And the okay. triangular memorial. I discussed earlier. Oh boy. All right. If that story sounded familiar, it's because it wasn't the only aeroplot flight where a passenger accidentally disengaged the automatic pilot, which resulted in a crash in episode 71 of the podcast. 71. Holy shit. Oh, my God. What? Somebody actually, that long ago? Somebody actually dug into when we did that. Ace is actually a well done Aces. The story of aeroplot flight 593 was literally 125 episodes ago oh my god in which a child disengaged the autopilot leading to a crash of that plane you know i remember when we talked to your dad and he was the one to bring that my dad was the one to bring it up yeah we'd never heard of it we're like 20 episodes we're like that sounds great we should do that as an episode god i don't think we've ever had a more like in-depth conversation with your dad like that we we went a while on yes we did disasters with your dad yeah oh my god I don't know why that freaked me out majorly that that was episode 71. And we had already been doing the pod over a year at that point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're coming up on four fucking years of this. I know. Holy shit. That's crazy. Episode 71. 71. We were in, we were only in double digits then. Oh man. I remember when I first started numbering our episodes i was like i'm gonna number them all in triple digits oh oh one oh oh two yeah, in the off chance we make it to 100 now we're almost at 200 mm-hmm. wow if you were to go to the spot of moscow central aerodrome today you would find instead a large city park named kodinskol pole city park surrounded by recently erected buildings Sokol still exists as an official district of Moscow, and you can visit the location of the crash still as a photo of a damaged house from the crash identifies the area as Ulitsa Levitana or Levitana Street. 
found between Metro Stop Sokol and the mixed metro and train stations of Panfilovskaya. Panfilovskaya. You can still find Dhaka-style residential buildings dotting the tree-covered streets of modern-day Sokol. It wasn't long after the crash of Maxim Gorky that Tupolev and the TSAGI separated, with Tupolev becoming its own entity for the first time. However, that didn't last long in itself, as in October 1937, during Stalin's Great Purges, Andrei Tupolev and his team were arrested by Stalin's secret police and imprisoned, forced to work on military aircraft for World War II, ending up with the manufacturing of what will become the Tupolev Tu-2. After the company's release from incarceration in 1943, Tupolev, at this point re-established as OKB-156 or Experimental Design Bureau 156, went back to innovation and manufacture of civilian and military aircraft alike. Today, Tupolev is still operating as the primary aircraft manufacturer for the former Soviet Union nations. Wow. With over 50% of passenger aircrafts being supplied to these former Soviet nations. It is still owned by the Russian state, though it has been absorbed into the larger United Aircraft Corporation, whom also own Russian competitors Sukhoi, Mikoyan, and Ilyushin. In the words of Tupolev's website itself, they claim to be the, quote, leading Russian company for design, manufacture, and post-scale support of missile carriers, bombers, and special purpose aircraft, end quote, and claim to hold around 280 world records from its 300 models of designed aircraft, of which 90% are implemented as prototypes and 40 of these being mass-produced. TSAGI is also is also still operating in Russia today, still the most prominent research center in Russia and one of the most prominent aerodynamics and aviation research centers in the world. One of the many aircraft that Tupolev had manufactured, which claimed record-breaking status, was the Tu-144. Designed in the 1960s, it was a direct competitor to the British and French Concorde product project. We, we've mm-hmm. obviously covered the crash of the Concorde. Mm-hmm. The TU-144 holds the distinct record as the first commercial jet airliner to achieve supersonic flight, first achieving this in June 1969, just two months before the first flight of the Concorde. I wonder if we mentioned that in that episode. I don't even remember. You may not have heard of the TU-144 in comparison to the Concorde. However, as it was plagued by reliability and development issues, only operating for three years after its first flight in commercial service, and finally being retired in 1978. One aspect of the life of the short-lived TU-144 is its frighteningly similar fate, which occurred on June 3rd, 1973, at the Paris Air Show, in which the prototype record-breaking aircraft of Tupolev's, of Tupolev's broke up mid-flight after performing aerobatics moves which were far out of capability for the aircraft to perform in a vain attempt to demonstrate the aircraft's superiority over the Concorde. Any chance that's the last episode we did? Do you remember the... No, that was a different no. air show, right? Do you remember yes, that? Yes, I Maybe do. Like it wasn't the... that. It, was it wasn't not that. that. I, I, I think you're right. Yeah. 
Uh, the wreckage of the T-144 crashed into the nearby French village of Gossonville, which suffered much of the same fate as Sokol, as there were eight fatalities on the ground and 60 injuries. All six crew members on the T-144 died in the crash as well. I think there's like three disasters in this episode. No, I was counting four. I think this <laughs> okay, is the fourth. Okay, wow. To add those. Andre Topolov would not ha- have to relive his... The fate of the TU-144 along the same parallels as the Maxim Gorky, as he would die on 23rd of December, 1972. He would be interned at the Novedovici Cemetery with a memorial depicting... Oh, there we go. That, that's what these are. What he is best known for, and only a small walk away from the victims of one of his greatest losses, the crash of the Maxim Gorky. And that, my friends, was wow. the story of the Maxim Gorky. Well done, Aces. Absolutely. Man, that was a story. I've never heard of it. Um, it's not listed there. Okay, that's all right. I'll, I'll find it. It's in there. <laughs> <laughs> Maxim Gorky. Yep, I've got it. Mm-hmm. Just wanted to make sure I had it. Man, that was a wild ride. Experimental aircraft. I mean, they're. Well, I, I mean, you know talk, talk about a podcast. You could you could almost oh, dedicate man. a podcast to that. Experimental aircraft disasters. But you know what's wild is it didn't have anything to do with the experiment of the aircraft. No. It was just poor choices made on some level. Whether it was like commanded or taken up by just a single pilot. Um, It's high speculation at this point, but it's also like 85 years ago. What do you think was, do you think that the, that Blagan went off on his own to do it? Or do you think he was told to, or do you think it was some combination? I, I think he, my gut instinct is that he went on his own to do it just to hot dog it. Yeah. I mean, that's attempt. That's certainly attempting a pro, um, resolution to it because it seems very, and well, well, I was gonna say, and uh, describing him before this incident, it's you know it it kind of fits with his overall reputation. You know what I would say? I really hope that I never do anything in life that people eighty five years later will be speculating about my right? intentions. Most of us aren't going to have to experience that, but like. Like, even if, even if he was totally irresponsible doing it, like, who are we to... Yeah. Like, we're not, right? Mm-hmm. We're not qualified at all to say that, so... Um, Obviously, I he just... thought he was qualified to do it. Otherwise, he wouldn't have done it. Well... I mean, that's... To me, that's what yeah. that's what comes in line with... Or he thought he was preserving a job. Or, I mean, that's possible if he was told to, you yeah. know? Yeah, I mean, it, it all... To me, all of... Okay, why are humans the way they are? It all boils down to this, to me. This is how I simplify it. Okay. It's basically like, why does anybody do anything? Because they can. Mm. Why does Mick Jagger, who is 80 years old and weighs about as much as a corpse, still date like 30-year-old models? Because he can. You know, not... He's the only 80-year-old person that can do that. You know, why did this guy do loop-de-loops around a, an experimental... Exactly. But not everybody operates on that level. Not consciously, but I think subconsciously we all do. I don't know about that. See, that's what I think, but that's a... That's a... Yes, we're getting into a completely different <laughs> I mean, like, philosophical discussion, because 
you're willing to take a lot of risks. Mm-hmm. I'm not. So I think that there are some people who maybe will do things because they can. It's more nuanced. It's more nuanced, obviously, than what I, I will put forward. I specifically not do things that I can because I think they're a bad idea. Sure. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I've, I had an experience growing up where I'll do things I know I shouldn't just to see if I can. Well, there we go. <laughs> Maybe there are different types. Everyone, can, everyone exists all on the spectrum. Fortunately, I'm still around. Not everybody made that decision That's and true. came out with a good outcome. That's true. So. Wow. Well, that was very well done, Aces. Even without Absolutely. the pronunciation guide. Absolutely. <laughs> I, think you did, I think you did excellent. I did my best. Except for the Mika Vikavita. Yeah, well, Med, that, that was like. Medved. That was like. The, the hockey that, name you yeah. knew. Oh, Medvedev. Medvedev. Yeah. That's it. I'm trying to remember. I know there was a Medvedev that played for Pittsburgh. I'm pretty sure. There have been a couple of them. Because I've seen that name before, and it is hard to... Because it looks like... The same syllable Yeah, it's times. like Medvedev. Medvedev. No, it's like Medvedev. Medvedev. Yeah. Medvedev. But it's consonant, vowel, consonant, vowel, so it looks like... <laughs> yes, it does look... <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you don't need a writer. <laughs> yes, exactly. Medvedev. <laughs> have a Medvedev to, on the canes so I can say well hopefully uh, hopefully once I get my uh, double dose of shots we can uh, go back to a game which I'm sure um, you don't want to do for your vaccine yeah <laughs> well you know what I have heard good things about how strict all the arenas are being about social distancing yes, they, yes, and masks they are. like literally getting on people if they have their masks down for more than like two seconds to it's take like, a sip of beer well because I think most people realize like if we ruin it for this we ruin it for everybody yes let's yeah. not make it so that they can't keep doing this yeah, yeah. whether I believe in this or not I'll, I'll go along to get along just so, mm-hmm. just so, like a year from now, mm-hmm. like it can just. Fair enough. Yeah, that's true, and hopefully that is the tack that even highly unreasonable, terrible people who think that this is somehow not real. That's literally all we. That's literally all we've asked. <laughs> like, just do the smallest thing. Like it's it's <laughs> literally nothing. It's basically nothing. It's not taking away your freedoms. It's not doing any of that. <laughs> shit you claim it's doing you know it's just you know it's the saddest thing right now and i've heard people that i know say this um covid fatigue is a real thing like people are really fucking sick of what's going on and i get that but we all feel it yes i agree yeah but a lot of people are now willing to take more risks as a result of that and that's sad because on one hand, it's actually very understandable, but it's still sure. a terrible idea. And I wish people wouldn't make those choices because the more we are all vigilant, the shorter duration this will take, especially now the cases are going back up. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're still at worse levels than we were when we were all are, staying at and, home. And there are ago. other variants too. So That is true as well. What people yeah. need to understand about a virus more than anything, uh, and this is something I've learned at my new job that I'd never really thought about it this way before, a, a virus is a living thing, mm-hmm. and it's going to do whatever it has to do to survive. Adapt or, or die, right? So Which is the, that's exactly what the, this the virus is the exact same doing. principle all living things that's have. Right. They will do whatever they have to do to survive. Mm-hmm. A virus is no different. Mm-hmm. So it's just there, trying to survive. There is one, not one, there is a multitude of factors to stomp a virus out, or at least to put it to a point where we can live with it. 
Right, like the flu. We haven't eradicated the no. flu. Or the common but we cold. we can live with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. We just need to get ourselves there. Man. And let's go Canes. <laughs> well, let's see. Uh, in seven weeks, you will be fully vaccinated. I know that yeah, sounds like a really long time, but at least it's the, a timeline. The, the playoffs will just be beginning by then. Oh, there you go. Well, if they make it, or oh, they're, when they're they make it. it. Yeah, they're making it. Then it's, I, it's just a matter of how far, how far they're going to go. I would say if you are fully vaccinated and willing to wear a mask and comply with all of regulations, yes, then I will not. I'm definitely uh, going to a playoff game. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And anybody is willing to come as well. Well, Anybody's not anybody. Willing or welcome. Welcome. Okay. <laughs> welcome, everybody. <laughs> welcome. <laughs> All right. There you go. Yeah, I dropped my paper clip. Where'd it go? There it is. <laughs> Don't want to lose my paper clip. There we go. So, again, thank you very much to Aces. Aces California can be found on our Discord. Yes. Not to be confused with Robert California. <laughs> no, but just as fucking cool. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now all I can think of is this guy is James Spader. James Spader. <laughs> James Spader is sending us a script. <laughs> oh, Aces, now we're visualizing you as James Spader. If you like that, great. If not, send us a picture and we'll start visualizing yeah. you properly. <laughs> and we'll call you not James Spader. <laughs> so this has been, uh, or I'm sorry. That was the story. That was the story. Do you remember? <laughs> I do, but now I'm trying to find the damn because it's not it's not in a it's bold. It's literally just the name of the the Gorky thing. <laughs> the Gorky thing. The Gorky thing. The Maxim Gorky. Maxim Gorky. Let's try it again. That was the story of the Maxim Gorky. <laughs> or the Gorky thing. I want to put it out as <laughs> the Gorky thing. But I put things in like a headline. But <laughs> I know. It it's blended in here. I know. So I can't find it. <laughs> That was the story of Gorky Park, <laughs> as told by the Gorky, the Maxim Gorky. <laughs> the Gorky, the Maxim Gorky. Holy Christ, we should probably edit all of this, but we're not going <laughs> we're to. We're not going to. Final take. Okay, go ahead. That was the story of the Maxim Gorky. Yes. This has been another episode of All Bad Things. I'm David. I'm Rachel. We'll see you next week.